Our scripture reading will be Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, but we will start in chapter 2, starting at verse 20, going all the way to chapter 3, verse 11. So, starting at Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all the way, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word never perishes and that it will stand forever. Father, we pray now as we look at verses 1 to 4 of chapter 3 that our eyes would be transfixed by the heavenly Christ, the one who is seated in heaven guarding and ruling over his church and all dominions, but that he is also the one who will reveal our life on the last day, vindicating our faith in him. Help us, O Father, to make much of Jesus this night. We ask this in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen. In our passage today, we come to a transition in Paul's letter. In chapters 1 to 2, we saw that Paul contrasts the true gospel to the false teacher's gospel of self-worth. Through Christ's death and resurrection, the incarnate Son of God has redeemed sinners and has subdued all spiritual forces, including the demonic lies of the false teachers. It is by faith alone that the church is united to Christ alone, and we through that very union, enjoy the presence of God right now. And we, living in this presence, are to simply walk and mature in Christ until he consummates this work in glory. So coming to Colossians chapter 3, Paul now shows us how we ought to live now. How we ought to live now with new holy lives in Christ. The false teachers sought life. But they went down a false path that leads only to death. Likewise, many today seek a life of happiness and purpose. But their path ends only in death. 
Brothers and sisters, hear this. We seek the heavenly Christ because Christ is our life. We seek the heavenly Christ because Christ is our life. In our passage, Paul exhorts the Colossians to seek the heavenly Christ because Christ rules over our life and Christ will reveal our life. Our two points. Christ rules over our life and Christ will reveal our life. So for our first point, seek the heavenly Christ because Christ rules over your life. In verses 1 and 2, believers' lives are to be orientated around Christ's heavenly kingship. Verse 1 opens with an an assumption that Paul demonstrated in chapter 2. There in that phrase, if you have been raised with Christ. Over the past few weeks, in our uni- we saw that in our union with Christ, the believer has spiritually died and has been resurrected. In Christ, we have died to the old earthly realm of death, but now we have been resurrected to the new heavenly realm of life. And since we have this new heavenly realm, since we have this new heavenly life, Paul gives us two commands. So we are in this new realm, and we are to live according to this new, this new realm. And here are the two commands that Paul gives us. Seek the things above, and set your minds on the things of earth, uh, above. By above, Paul refers to the realm of heaven, the realm of God's presence. But what does it mean to seek and to think upon heaven? Seeking and thinking are ways in which the New Testament speaks of one's orientation in life. It's our patterns and behaviors. To be heavenly minded is to pattern our behaviors and goals that distinguish us as God's people from others. For example, in verse 2, Paul contrasts these commands with thinking upon the things below referring to the old earthly realm of death that we once belonged to. The believer is to orientate their lives according to God's heavenly realm, not the earthly realm that we have died to. It's like how an astronaut prepares his body and mind for launch day. They live completely different lives from those who will remain on the ground. But why does Paul give us this command? If believers already belong to heaven... If we are already there in the new heavenly realm, won't we naturally live this way? Not necessarily. Though we already belong to God's heavenly presence in Christ, we have not yet been consummated in glory. So believers can still be tempted to live according to the old man and not the new. In context, Paul is Concern, Paul's concern is that the church would fall for false teachers' worldly beliefs and practices, as we've seen over the past few weeks. If you worship according to our beliefs, then you'll really be accepted by God. But these lies were usurping a power that did not belong to them. These lies were usurping a power that belongs only to Christ. Only Christ can save and bring us to God's presence. Believers are to live under Christ's gospel for acceptance, not the artificial law-keeping that the false teachers had devised. So Paul wants us to orientate our lives according to the heavenly truth and not worldly lies. 
He says to seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This description there in verse 1 is a description of Psalm 110, 110. It's a very famous psalm, the most quoted psalm in the entire New Testament, which says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This psalm prophesied that God would exalt the Messiah, the Christ, to a heavenly kingship. Through Christ's resurrection and ascension, God declared Jesus the Son of God in power. So Christ has obtained a a heavenly kingdom in which we are saved by his power. Earlier in the epistle, Paul focused heavily on Christ's subduing of all spiritual powers. Believers once belonged to the kingdom of darkness. Our lives were ruled under the authority of demonic powers, such as the false teachers were. But the gospel tells us that Jesus is the true king. Believers are to live according to what he says, not the defeated powers and principalities of the old earthly realm. They are subject to Christ. They are subject to the truth. Simply put, to be heavenly minded is to live in the truth that Jesus is the Lord of heaven. He is the ruler over my life, not false teachers or worldly doctrines that come from Satan. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you, who are you obeying? What authority do you listen to? What kingdom do you belong to? Is your life ruled by the truth that Jesus is king? Or are you ruled by false powers and idols? For those here who do not yet trust in Christ, and children, I think of you. Children, please look at me. Children. I want you to know this. Everyone has a king they follow. Everyone has a God they follow. But one day, and sometimes, children, sometimes your God, sometimes the king in your life is you. One day, one day, your false king will stand before King Jesus who has a rod of iron in his hand. Whatever rebellious power you are trusting in will be revealed as a sham and a false comfort. If you hear this, and if you are cut to the heart, if you tremble underneath the weight that Jesus is king and that he will judge all those who place their faith in a false promise, hear the truth that Jesus is king. King Jesus is merciful to rebels. Christ has suffered the penalty of death in the rebel's place. And he now calls you, little ones, to turn from your sin, turn from your false king, turn from your self, And come to King Jesus. 
He calls you to place your trust in Him for the pardon of sins. And so here's the call. Deny yourself. Deny the King of self. Deny the God of self. And have your life ruled by King Jesus. Here's the secret. King Jesus is a far better master. He is a far better king than yourself. And he alone can save you from yourself. So children, do you see King Jesus on that throne? Then come to him. He is merciful to sinners and rebels. But for those saints who do already rest in Christ, we need the same gospel. As image bearers, we are hardwired for the covenant of works. That creation, Adam was given a law to obey in order to gain an eternal standing before God. But he failed. And like Adam after his fall, there is no way that we can prepare ourselves enough for God. In Adam, all have died through the covenant of works. Our fig leaves are not good enough. Our good works are not good enough. As Paul says, to think otherwise is to set your mind on the things of the earth. It is to believe according to the old pattern that I'm good enough, that I can make it, I can get to God by my works. No. No. Such thinking and living belongs to the old realm of death. Our performance cannot grant us life or peace with God, period. Brothers and sisters, we all sin. And sin is so horrible because we see how great an offense we have brought before the holy God. And when we sin big enough, we become frantic, don't we? If we mess up really big, We mess up yet again. We get frantic and we are tempted to go back to that old realm and gather fig leaves. If I make up for it and obey enough, then I'll be accepted back into God's good graces, right? Who's here? Who hasn't had that fever dream in their spiritual walk? No. Brothers and sisters, such thinking only leads to death. That is exactly how Satan tries to fool the church. Satan loves to use the law to drive us further into ourselves. He wants you to think that you are saving your life when he is really leading you back to the domain of death. This is exactly what thinking upon the things of the earth looks like in the Christian. It is a poor, frantic soul who is living by Satan's lies By looking at oneself. But as we heard in that gospel message, we are no king and we are no savior. So brothers and sisters, if this is you, if you are that poor frantic soul, stop living by lies. Your life can only be saved by the truth of the gospel the law's condemnation should not lead you inward, but your, lead your eyes upward to the king who has never failed. King Jesus is on the throne. He alone has the power to save sinners. 
He alone gives the strength to defeat sin and the flesh. He alone will pardon your sins yet again and restore you in holiness before him. So then, don't live by lies. Live according to the gospel truth. Seek the heavenly Christ and let him rule over your life. Christ has defeated the lies of the enemy that say you must look to yourself. So don't listen. They lie dead in the grave. Live under the king that has conquered and live in the freedom that he has secured for you. He alone gives you the power to live for him and pardons you when you fail. That is a king worth following. That is a king worth believing in. That is a king who saves. So then Christians are to live in Christ's new heavenly realm, free from the the demands of the old earthly realm. We live new holy lives according to the truth that Jesus reigns on the throne, not us. And we live according to this truth by faith and not by sight. This brings us to our second point. Seek the heavenly Christ because Christ will reveal your life. Verse 3 and 4 show how the believer's new life will be finally revealed in glory. Looking there at the text in chapter 3, verse 3 provides the ground for verses 1 and 2. 4, right? Christians are to live according to Christ's rule for because they have died meaning they have died to the old earthly realm. Our lives are no longer marked by unbelief of self-reflection and rebellion, but we live according to faith in King Jesus and obedience to Him. And a second reason is given. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. In our union with Christ, our lives are bound together with Christ's life. Where He goes... We go. We have been spiritually resurrected through Christ's resurrection. And we have spiritually ascended to God through Christ's ascension. We are now spiritually, brothers and sisters, before God's holy presence because Jesus is there. We are hidden with Him there. And we have spiritually ascended to that same place that Jesus is. We live under Christ's rule because we belong to God's heavenly realm with Christ. In chapter 1, Paul describes our life hidden in God in different terms. We saw that he calls it our hope laid up in heaven or the hope of glory. Though we are spiritually resurrected and ascended with Christ, we are not yet glorified in all of its fullness. Simply put, our hope is not yet seen. Romans 8. And this is what verse 4 addresses. In that verse, we see that word appear. The word appear means an unveiling of what is hidden or not seen. When Christ appears in his second coming, he will reveal our life because he is our life by union with him. When we see Jesus, we will see our life. The fullness of our life, our glorification, 
will be revealed when Christ is revealed in all of His glory. One day, our faith will become sight. Our hope of glory will become a reality. So then we live according to Christ's rule because our life is in the new heavenly realm of glory, which Christ will fully reveal. And as we see going on in the rest of chapter 3, we will see so many implications of what that means practically, of how we ought to live as those who belong to such a holy realm. But this faith and hope, this faith that Jesus is ascended and we are united to him, and the hope that he will come again and we will see our faith, that we will know the hope of God's glory when we see Jesus, that hope. This faith and hope stands in direct opposition to what the false teachers were peddling. Most likely, the false teachers argued that man could bring heaven on earth, that we could bring future promises to reality now. And as we saw, they proved their argument by their so-called visions of angels. We don't need Paul's hidden glory to come. The false teachers were offering visions of glory right now. Why wait on Jesus when we can have his glory right now? It's ironic that Paul uses the term hidden to describe the glory that the false teachers mocked. In fact, Paul is alluding to Psalm 27. If you would, please turn there with me. Psalm 27. Paul is being very purposeful in his use of the word hidden to describe what believers truly have in Christ. In that psalm, David speaks of being surrounded by adversaries and foes. Though he is assailed by the enemies of God, David is confident. He almost has a little bit of a swagger in his tone. Why? Surrounded by all these enemies, why is David confident? Because he, looking at verse 5, he asks to find refuge in the presence of God. He seeks refuge in the temple of God, saying, verse 5, For he will hide me in the shelter in the day, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. David's life was found by hiding in the temple of God. As we've seen elsewhere in the book of Colossians, who is the temple? Brothers and sisters, I want you to ask me, Sunday school time, who is the temple in Colossians? Oh, pathetic. Jesus is the temple. He is the very presence. He is the incarnate Son of God who is our temple presence. And so David is confident in being hidden in the Lord's presence. He trusts the Lord with his life because he knows that the Lord's glory would prevail. And he ends that psalm with these words, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
So like David, Paul in Colossians is confident in King Jesus. Paul would rather hide his life in Christ's temple glory rather than the vain glory of the false teachers. Paul calls us, likewise, to wait for King Jesus because he, because he trusts that his goodness, Christ's goodness, will find us in glory. So, brothers and sisters, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. In our day, far too many Christians are antsy. We're frantic. And it's hard not to be. We cannot turn on the news without some announcement of impending doom or some new social strife. And we get nervous. We want some hope of security or comfort, don't we? I know I do. We want to know that our friends, our our family, our churches will be okay. But here's the rub. We are given no such promises in scripture. God does not give us words of comfort of this world for the trials and tribulations we will face. The word tells believers that we will suffer many trials and tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. So we are given no comfort in this world. In fact, we are given more to worry about. And if we are honest, courage does not come to our hearts when we feel our lives are threatened. Too often, we turn to false hopes to alleviate this threat. Like what the false teachers were offering. They were offering a false hope. A false glory. We may look to the hope of politics or cultural action to root out societal evils. We may look to the hope of strong families and churches to stop sin from infiltrating too close into our communities. Or we may look to the hope of self to keep evil at bay or to preserve our life. And do not misunderstand me. To a degree, all of these pursuits have their place in the Christian's life. But brothers and sisters, there are thousands of voices to say that today that say politics, the family, the church, or yourself are the hope against all that threatens what you hold dear. These well-meaning voices may give a head nod to Christ's glory to come, but they are ultimately focused about the here and now. They want to see change now. They want glory now. But this desire for immediacy comes from fear. It is the fear that if something doesn't change right now, our lives could be ruined. But by seeking the glory of change now, they seek an assurance that God's word simply does not offer. As much as I like 
as much as I like, I cannot offer you assurance that things will get better in your lifetime. You all know of what I'm speaking of. The cultural changes, the, the horrendous sins, even the very things that we have just prayed for. A persecution, a prisons, a beatings. Brothers and sisters, I try not to be alarmist, but there is a day coming for us. And we need to be prepared. That when the enemies of God surround us, I cannot give you false promises, a false glory right now. But all I can do, all any of us can do, is point you where you ought to find shelter. All I can do is tell you to abandon false hopes and embrace the hope that God provides. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you. Let your hearts be encouraged because your life is hidden with Christ in God. Though we may lose this life, believers have the hope of glory. This hope will never fade away. This world will fade away, but the new has come in Christ. So do not seek the glory of this world. It cannot lengthen your days. It cannot give you the comfort you seek. It cannot secure your life. But look to the glory of the heavenly Christ. Look to the hope of glory that is laid up for you in heaven. And keep going. Those enemies that assail you will fall under Christ's glory on that last great day. Every knee shall bow and confess, Jesus indeed is Lord. All the false hopes of this life will be shown for the lies that they are. So do not embrace false hopes. Do not embrace lies. And though the tribulations and trials seem so harsh now, and they will continue. There awaits an eternal weight of glory for those who persevere to the end. So brothers and sisters, on that day, when we see Jesus, when we see our life before us, our faith will be vindicated. Our hope will become a reality. Our faith will become sight. And the passing woes and the false hopes of this life will fade away from our view as we behold the glory of Christ who is our life. So dear brother and dear sister, take courage and wait for the Lord. He indeed is coming and it will be glorious. So then in conclusion, we seek the heavenly Christ because he is our life. We seek Him because He is the ruler over our life. In Christ, we can live holy lives because the gospel points us upward to Christ's sufficiency rather than the lies to look inward. And we seek Christ because He will reveal our life. Though we are frustrated by enemies and false hopes, we wait patiently knowing that Christ will come again. Our faith will become sight. True heavenly glory awaits, brothers and sisters. Keep 
going, persevere, or there is an eternal weight of glory at the end. Let us pray. Oh, Father, what an encouragement it is that despite our tendencies in our flesh to look inward, Lord, that you have crushed the old age and those who would point us back to it, and that you have established your Son on the throne so that we can live holy lives before you, not under the threat that we are not good enough, but that Christ is good enough for us. Father, we also pray and we ask that you give us perseverance to the end, that you would transform us, that though there are false hopes at work this day and they cling so close to our hearts, Lord, you will conquer at the end. Help us to have that faith firmly rooted in our souls. And Lord, that hope of your second coming, Lord, may that be what makes us persevere to the end. Oh, Father, help Jesus be glorious in our sight this evening. And Lord, may we savor him all our days. We ask this in your son's holy and perfect name. Amen.